Well, good morning, church. My name is Brian Tate. I'm one of the Connections pastors here. Pastor Brandon is hunting today. So I can actually see who all the real men are by if you're here today and not out hunting somewhere, right? And so, yeah, exactly, right? So uh, thank you for giving your time with us today. Thank you for coming and being a part of this series. We're in a prayer series that uh, we are ending this week. Brandon started uh, two weeks ago, and he just talked about prayer and, and kind of what it means. And he had this one quote that said, we should not see prayer as a way to get more from God, but a way to get more of God himself. Now, when I read that, when I started thinking about that, when it started just really resonating in my soul, I thought, wow, because God isn't just this buddy that I go and hang out with all the time. He is the God that has created the 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 atom, the, the uh, flea that jumps around on my dog, right? He, he can do something, create something so little, yet he created this universe, this huge, vast space that we haven't even explored all of it yet. And so we get more of the creator when we come and we pray and we encounter God. Yet sometimes that is overwhelming to think that my prayer life is just not where it should be when I think of it from that way. And a lot of us raised our hands and said, my prayer life isn't where it should be. And when I go through and think about how I treat my prayer life, sometimes it's just poor. Sometimes it's really, really poor. Because I get a chance to come and meet with my Creator, someone that we do stand amazed at and don't understand the love that He can come and and die for us, even though we don't want any part of Him sometimes. And so we see that we get more of God himself that first time. Now, the second week he came and he talked about the Lord's Prayer and just what all kind of went in with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Adoration, thanksgiving, and we noticed that he doesn't really come with all our requests. He comes and talks about seeking God for like the provision of the day, the daily bread. But a lot of times we bring our requests like a Christmas list to God. Like, God, this is what I want. This is what I want for today. This is what I want for this week. This is what I want. And it's always about requests, usually for us. And we're not coming word-wise and actually giving God what He deserves, which is our adoration, which is recognizing what He is, who He is and then thanking him for what it's done. And so he moved through, Brandon moved through this process of prayer with our words. Today we're going to take a look at just see the environment of prayer, like where, what to do, where to pray, uh, how to pray, where, what should I be doing. And we're going to take a look in Matthew 26. So if you want to turn, that will be most of our passage, it will be Matthew 26. And, and we're going to take a look at, at a time where Jesus prayed to God. I'm going to start with Daniel 6 and just a one verse out of Daniel because I think this is key too, but this is, it'll be up on there. And then we'll end with 2 Samuel. You don't have to turn there, but I just wanted to take a look at David at that point and see just what it means to really treat God as God. And so let me pray and then we'll get started. Father, I do come before you acknowledging that my prayer life isn't always the best. God, I come before you Uh, thanking you for just your overwhelming grace and your second chances as I come and speak to you. God, speak through your word today. Father, I 
I ask that you help us to realize who you are and who we are and how you have given us access to you, Father, without a holy priest. Through the Holy Spirit, we can come before you and see just who you are and get to know you more. And God, I ask that you help us take that opportunity and just recognize you as God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So it starts off in Daniel. I'm going to just read this verse from Daniel 6, chapter 6, verse 10. And it said, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And if you know anything about the story of Daniel, this is where... Uh, that Daniel, uh, the king of the day, signed a decree, signed a law that said, you cannot bow to anyone but the king. And Daniel goes to his room, and he still opens the windows, and he, and he prays and bows to God. And then eventually he gets thrown into the lion's den, and God saves him from the lion's den. But what's, what's interesting here is, is four little things that he does just in this verse. And, and we're going to take a look at Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples where right after he has uh, the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Supper, he, he takes his disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane. He asks them to pray with him. And, and then he is betrayed by Judas. And so we're going to take a look at that and see kind of just these examples of prayer and how we can take it and put things to our, just some practical things we can do in our environment of prayer. So one of the first things that we saw here is that Daniel had a specific place and so if you take a look there, it said when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. So he went to this upper chamber and he prayed. His windows were open. Now this would be like me coming to your house and saying, oh, hey, how's it going? Not really knowing you that well. And then just beelining it for your bedroom. And it's like, excuse me? Like I had that door closed for a reason, Right. You close the door when company comes over so that they don't see your bedroom. And so uh, you shove everything in there and close it and everything looks neat where they can see when they come in. And so this is the upper chamber. This is a private location for Daniel. He had a specific place that was pretty uncommon uh, in his household to go and pray. Now when we go to Matthew 26 here, verse 36 through 38, it says, Then Jesus went to a, uh, with them, that's his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And you see that Jesus went to an uncommon place, to this Garden of Gethsemane. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane was at the lower part of the Mount of Olives. And this is where they would bring the olives and pretty much crush the olives to make olive oil. And I find it very interesting that here, Jesus' soul, Jesus' spirit is being crushed. His, his, his spirit is moving and feeling the weight of the decision that is about to happen. Now, he's gone to this mountain before. This is a place that he goes to and meets with God. A very uncommon place. He doesn't go to a house that he's staying at. He doesn't go to the temple. He goes to this garden. So the two things that really kind of stand out is that when you're looking for a specific place, find an uncommon place. Like give God his place. 
Like if you go and you pray, like, and I'm, I'm going to just kind of say from my example in my prayer life, sometimes I'll go and I'll pray in bed because that's just where I go to sleep at night. The problem is the majority of the time that I do at that place is sleep. And so what happens when I'm sitting there praying, I fall asleep, right? I'm sure none of y'all have done that before. So then I make up the excuse, like I just wanted God to be the last thing on my mind, right, before I fall asleep, right? And so, so but the thing is, is, I sleep there the majority of the time. When I go and sit at the table, it's not that I pray there the majority of the time, it's I sit there and eat, the majority of the time. If I go and pray on the couch in the living room, what do I do there? I watch TV there the majority of the time. So when you go to these very common places that you do other things in, your mind wanders to these things in these places. Give God his space. Like find a place that you can go and say, the majority of my time is I'm going to meet God here. Not that you're not praying All the time, like James says, to pray all the time in everything. We can talk to God every time, but there needs to be a time that you go and all you're doing is encountering God. So find a specific place that you can say, this is God's spot here in my house or or in somewhere else outside. This is the second thing that we see is nature. Like if you looked and you saw, like the windows were open towards Jerusalem. He couldn't see Jerusalem. He knew it was over that way, Daniel, but he looked out and he saw nature. Same thing with Jesus. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I don't know about this, but if you close yourself up in your, in your house, you pretty much can control that environment. Like you can control the temperature. You can control the, the noise. You can control kind of your comfort there. And pretty soon you're, you're still looking at all the things that is your stuff. But if you go out into nature and you walk and you do a prayer walk or you go out in the backyard and you take a look and you see the majestic of creation, you start realizing who you are. You have no control over the sun. You have no control over the weather. You have no control over how the trees grow, where the the grass grows, all these animals that run through. You have no control over them, but God does. And now you start realizing who you're meeting with out in nature. So just two things to see here that I recommend is find an uncommon spot and look at just nature. The second thing we see here is to to commit to a regular time. So it says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. And then throughout Jesus' ministry, you see that a lot of times he'll wake up and spend time and go out in the morning and spend time with God. And so you see that they've committed a a regular time. Now, again, I'm going from my experience. My problem is, is that I pack my day with stuff that really doesn't matter in the long run. Like I get up, I fix... Uh, breakfast for the kids, or, or my wife will fix breakfast for the kids. We'll get them ready for school, right? And then we'll take them to school. They'll, then I come to work. I go to lunch. I come back to work. I go pick up the kids. And then we come and we make sure that uh, w- if we've got to pick up something, I'll play with the kids, maybe a board game. And then, and then we'll have dinner. we got to fix dinner. And then by the end of the day, at about 11 o'clock, I'm sitting here. And you can ask my wife, I haven't read my Bible or spent time with God. 
And so I will give God the last 15, 20 minutes of the day at 11 o'clock at night when I can't really focus. We've got to find a committed time that's quality time, like to give time to God. There's a study out there called Growing Kids God's Way. My wife and I took it, and there's two things that they suggest in, in that study. It's one, when right when both parents are at home for the very first time, like you make your, uh, the wife may came, come home first or the husband may came, come home first and then the other one follows, right when they come in, they have what's called couch time. And what you do is you tell your kids, look, we're going to have 15, 20 minutes of couch time, and we're going to sit here, and it's going to be our time. No interruption unless they're like some emergency, very difficult emergency, not like an emergency where I lost my doll and I don't know where it is, right? Because to the kids, that's what an emergency is. But a real medical emergency is when you interrupt this time, right? And so you have what's called couch time, and you spend, and you spend, Spend quality time with your spouse, and your kids know not to come and interrupt you at that time. Also, it, 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 it suggests that you have a schedule. So like from the beginning of our kids' birth, we tried to uh, get them into the schedule of starting at 8 o'clock. That's when we're getting ready for bed. We're going to read. We're going to have our reading time, 30 minutes of reading. We're going to brush our teeth. We're going to uh, take baths if they haven't had it for about a week, right? And that's, you can try to throw that in there at the end and, and get ready for bed. That's the time. And so hopefully by 9 o'clock, kids are in bed, and we have time to spend together as a couple. And so, like, we'll do, we'll watch a movie, we'll work on some school stuff for her sometimes, sometimes she'll work on church stuff for me, sometimes we'll just talk, sometimes we'll play a board game, but we will spend scheduled time with each other because it's quality time. That's what God is searching for from us. Like, it isn't this 15 minutes of a day just coming through and saying, oh, God, thank you for this day. I'm glad I spent that time with you. See you next week. He wants quality time with us. He wants us to spend time, to etch time out and spend with him, to sacrifice something else so that we can come before a holy God. Also, make sure it works out with your place. Like, don't say, I'm going to schedule 30 minutes at lunchtime to spend with God when you know that you're not always at home during lunch. Like, let's use some common sense here, right? Like me, my lunch schedule is Monday. We, I can guarantee you that I'll be having lunch with staff on Monday. That's just what we do. We have staff meeting and we go out to lunch. Tuesday, I may have lunch at home. Wednesday, I may go meet with somebody else at lunch to just kind of talk about their day or, or uh, just meet other people in the church. And I would be foolish to say I'm going to etch out 30 minutes during lunch hour when I know that I'm not going to be home all the time. So use some common sense. If your place is at home, make sure you're at home during this time, right? And this is what we need. This is what we see here. The third thing that we see is consider a devoted posture. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper room chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. And going a little farther, if you go on to Matthew here, this is Jesus going a little farther. He fell on his face and prayed, 
saying, my father, if it, it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And you see all throughout the Bible that Moses, when he encounters God, he falls on his face. When jo- Joshua is approached by the angel, he falls on his face. When, when Ezekiel is told to go and give Jerusalem this message, this prophecy, he falls on his face. And you see throughout the time that there's this posture of coming before God. Because a lot of times, again, we treat God as a, as this just shallow friend, and we don't really have awe and fear of God, the reverent fear that we're asked to have of Him. And if we knew exactly, if we experienced God in the presence of God, we wouldn't be standing at all. We would be down on our face just thanking Him for allowing us to be in His presence. And so my problem is, is a lot of times, again, I get in bed and I'm laying down. What kind of posture is that saying to God? Like that is saying, man, this is, you don't treat me well at all. Like, isn't that horrible? Like that's probably 90, you're up here laughing. It's true though. Like we don't, our posture does not give God the experience or the thought that we really care about him sometimes. When you look at someone's posture and they're doing this, that means they don't want to be talking to you, right? But if they're like leaning forward, arms open, body language, you know when somebody wants to talk to you. If they're looking at their watch, probably not, right? Well, that's the thing with God. Why do we think we can just nonchalantly come before in prayer, even in our posture, instead of treating Him like God? We need to find time where we encounter God and fall on our face and give him the reverence and awe that he deserves. It's not a magical position. It doesn't matter if you're like doing this, if you're on your face, if you're on your knees, if you've got one leg wrapped up around your head. You know, I don't know how you want to pray, but it's not a magical position. I don't think that if you do these things, if you're checking these off, that God's going to hear your prayers more than if you don't. That's not what we're saying here. This isn't a magical thing where you have to sit and, and if I pray a certain posture, then God's going to grant my prayers more. It's coming in an act of humility before God. It's coming in the fact that we are in the presence of a holy God. That we have been ac- given access to God without a high priest. Back in the day when they had a high priest and they went to meet with God in the most holy of holy place in the tabernacle, they tied a rope around the high priest and sent him in. That way if he died or something happened to him in there, no one would go into the presence of God, but they could pull him out. When do we realize that we're coming before a God that is holy? And we need to, in our posture, show him that he's holy. Fourth thing that we see here is make prayer a consistent habit. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God, before his God, as he had done previously. And if you go to Luke, which right now you're in Matthew, but if you go to Luke and you look at the same story of when Jesus took the disciples to go pray, it said Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives 
and his disciples followed him. This is a common practice. This is a consistent habit that they're having with God. And a lot of times you and I, well, I don't want to say you, but me, I'm more consistent for about a week. And then like I forget. And then I come back about three days later and I'm like, oh yeah, I was praying for that. God, let me pray for that again. And I'll remember a couple more days and then I'll tend to forget. We were looking through a, a study of of uh, Isaac and Rebecca uh, for student ministry. And I thought it was interesting because uh, the, the verse where Isaac realizes that his wife is barren and can't have children, and he prays to God, says that, that she was barren, and that Isaac prayed to God, and God granted his prayer. And we think, wow, he prayed and it was answered. But if you follow up the other verse, when, when, when Isaac met Rebecca, he was 40, she didn't give birth Till 20 years later. You know Isaac was sitting there praying, God, how are you going to fulfill this promise when my wife's barren? For 20 years. And we tend to forget in about a week, or I do. I was doing a couple studies, and, and I was wondering, how long do you have to do something to, to make it a habit? Right, And so you see some people say 7, some people say 21 because there's some studies. But due to technology nowadays and how our brains tend to go from this one to this one to this one to this one in about a minute, it takes us longer today to, to make a habit out of something. And, and average is 66 days. Two months to three months it takes to make a habit out of something. And so this is something that... that we need to realize is that if, if we're going to God in prayer for a month and we're like, man, he hasn't answered prayers, so, you know, I'll just kind of take things into my own hand. Give it about three months. Make a consistent prayer. Give God some time, right? And make it meaningful. Like if you have a child or you're a parent of a child, uh, you've probably experienced this. So we go and we pick up our kids from school and we ask them, how did your day go? And their answer is good, right? Very one word answer is good, is great. I just was in school for eight hours and I don't want to talk about it, right? That's the feel you get. Like all I want to do is play. Stop talking about school. Let's go play. And so, but the thing is, is as a parent, I'm not looking for one word answers. Like I want to know like how was your day? Did you learn anything? Did you, did you uh, get to meet anyone new? What did you, what did you eat? What, and so I start questioning these things. And, I start, and then what happens? You come back the next day. Hey, how was your day? It's good. We just went through this, right? Like we, I want to know more about what your day is, is like. Let's, let's talk about it. And that's what God's saying. We go before God and God says, okay, how's your day? I was good, God. Thank you. See you tomorrow. And he's like, just talk to me. Just talk to me. I want to know what you were feeling in this moment. I want to know what you were thinking about me in this moment. Are you mad at me? God can take your anger. Like he wants to know us. And he already does. It's for our benefit to get to know God. To spend time with him. Like my wife and I, if I go home... The first thing I hear usually out of her day is, how was your day? She's not looking for it. It was good. <laughs> if I say that, she's like, seriously, how was your day? Right? And she wants to know. It's the same thing with God. 
When are we going to start, again, treating God as God and really giving him our time and our focus in our prayer? So he finished up the, the first week or maybe the second week with another quote. And this, this is the other quote that's just been resonating with me. And it's, it's this. Failure to pray is not simply breaking some religious rule. It is a failure to treat God as God. It's not about us checking things off. It's actually saying, okay, God, you're not important enough for me to spend this time with. Like, when are we going to start treating God again with a committed time, with a posture of, and, and a place? When are we going to give him his own place that we can go and meet with him? Like, when are we going to start treating God as God? And so I, I look through here, and there's two examples of, of how we normally treat, or I would say the majority of us treat, us treat God like this. And this is exactly right after Jesus is praying. Matthew 26, 40. And he says, And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? I don't know if you've ever tried to pray for an hour. About three years ago, three or four years ago, a group of guys that I was with, we went and we prayed for an hour. That was one of the most difficult things I think I've ever tried to do. I've only, and it's been about three or four years since I did it. So uh, it's very difficult to sit there and pray for an hour. But these disciples, they just walked three years with Christ. They see all the miracles that he did. They see the provisions of, of providing food for feeding 5,000. And Peter has already acknowledged that he is the Messiah. Yet they fall asleep. They were not treating God as God. They failed to pray. So he wakes them up. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came to them and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. If Jesus just caught me not praying, I would like to say that the second time he comes around, I'd be praying. Right? Right? But I have failed. I have been in this exact thing where I'll fall asleep at night and be like, God, I'm sorry. Wake up in the morning. Oh, God. <laughs> right? And then I sit there, okay, let's pray right in the morning. But I'm still tired <laughs> and I didn't get up. So I'll fall asleep again. I was like, oh, come on. Like, this is how we treat God. And, the, and then it says, so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going, and see my betrayers at hand. And here's, here's what I realized from this, is that God, if we want to do our own thing, he's going to let us. God is not one that forces us into a relationship with him. That if we want to actually do our own thing all day long and not even talk to him, he's going to allow it. But then I also see, man, what was Peter, James, and John thinking when they realized Jesus is now being taken away from them? I'd be kicking myself so hard. I didn't even pray with him. And now he's gone. 
when are we going to realize that prayer is so important that we need to know what God wants us to do day by day by day, and yet sometimes we don't even come before him and we don't experience what God wants us to for that day. And then we question, God, where are you? I want to take you to, again, the quote, failure to pray is not simply breaking some religious rule. It's a failure to treat God as God. And I want to take you to 2 Samuel real quick. This is a time that David, if you know anything about King David, you probably know about his sin with Bathsheba, right? He sees Bathsheba, he, he sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. Uriah is, is off to war. He comes back, tries to trick him into sleeping with his wife to, to, to look like she got pregnant from him. It doesn't happen, so he, he tells the troops to, uh, he sends a note with Uriah to tell the troops to back away so that Uriah will die, and he dies. And then he takes Bathsheba as his wife, and they have a kid. This kid gets sick. And this is David and his experience with praying before God. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. David is seeking God. That, it says pleading with God. Other translations say seeking, pleading. This is him praying fervently to God for this child. His child is sick. He's praying. David fasted. He didn't eat. And he went and laid on the ground out in nature. And the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat with them. On the seventh day, the child died. You see David is praying, fasting, lying on the ground for seven days in the presence of God. And the servant of David were afraid to tell him that this child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. So they were worried. Like, we've seen how he acts, how the child is alive. How am I going to bring this experience to where his child is now dead? He may actually hurt himself. He may try to kill himself. He may do something. Scream at God. Who knows? But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. How many of us on our knees during this time would at the end get up, clean ourselves, and go to the temple, the house of the Lord, and worship God. He hasn't eaten for seven days. He doesn't go eat first. He doesn't go to his house first. He goes to, he anoints himself. He prepares himself to meet with the holy God. He has prayed seven days, and what looks like the outcome of the prayer isn't what he probably wanted. And yet he worships God. Because he's treating God as God. Then he goes to his house and he asks for food. And the servant said to him, what is this thing you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But while, when the child died, you arose and ate food. This doesn't make sense, David. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? 
Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. We don't know how God's going to answer our prayers. And so many times when we get the wrong answer, we stop praying. We don't come to God anymore because we think that now I want to be in control of my life because I didn't get the answer that I wanted to. He says, who knows if the Lord will be gracious to me or not? He knows who God is. And after it all, he goes and he worships. He treats God as God. Despite his circumstance, despite the outcome of his prayer, he anoints himself, prepares himself in a posture to come before God, and he meets with him in the temple, in an uncommon place where he goes and finishes his, his time with God. I don't know which one your prayer life looks more like. I know mine tends to look like the more of the falling asleep. And I'm admitting that to you right now. Like there are many times that I don't treat God as God. I treat him as something that I just tack on at the end of the day. Because it might be something I need to do. But when are we going to start really treating God as God? Both in our words, both in our actions, both in our environment. Let's pray. Father, I really, sometimes I don't know what to say, God. Father, I, I will be the first to admit sometimes, my, most of the time, my life, my prayer life is, is poor. God, you are the creator of this universe. You're the creator of us. You've, you've knitted us together in our mother's womb. You've made us specifically in your image. Yet we love our stuff. We love our time. We love our money. And so many times, we don't even acknowledge you in our prayer life. God, you are holy. <laughs> I'm yet a sinner saved by grace, and I thank you for that. I thank you for allowing access to you, Father, the creator of this universe. God, help us to change. Help us to mold our prayer life into something that is beyond what people understand, beyond what people care. God, give us a desire to meet with you daily. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.